Coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi, I'm Kevin Godby. And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete. And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Just hit the subscribe button and you'll get notified when an episode is ready for download. And then you can listen to them anytime you want, like on your morning jog or commute to work. On today's show, we continue with our conversational format, starting with a follow-up on baking at home. We will also inform you of a secret ingredient that improves meat every time, and you'll find out what the most popular dressing is. We'll have a couple more trends to talk about, and you're going to get to hear us sing too. We We have have a great great show, so stick stick around. One of our favorite places to go eat in St. Pete is Engine Number 9. They've been a staple in downtown St. Pete coming up on seven years, and they are famous for their unique and tasty burger creations. As a matter of fact, they are on the St. Pete Foodies list of best burgers in St. Pete. They also made the best hot dogs list, the best chilies, and the best wings in St. Pete. Aside from the food, Engine Number 9 is a great sports bar with lots of TVs, beer, and wine. And you can even get a regular old cheeseburger, too, so you can bring your non-adventurous eater friends. Check out Engine Number 9 at the corner of MLK and 1st Avenue North in downtown St. Pete. Their burgers can't be beat. Engine Number 9 is doing takeout and delivery. The hours are 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily. And packaged beer and wine is also available until 9 p.m. I love soup, and I'm always in search of a great soup. Ramen is just so complex and delicious with layers of complex flavors in its broth. Booyah Ramen is one of my favorite places in downtown St. Pete. So much so that I recently included them on my top five Asian noodle soups list for their pork belly ramen. Now, Booyah's success is not just about the ramen. It's a hip, upbeat environment meant for unwinding and socializing with housecrafted cocktails, a large selection of Japanese whiskey, and izakaya, too. Those are small plates of different types of appetizers that are delicious, as well as the ramen. The ambiance of the place, along with the friendliness of the owners and staff, really adds to the character and charm of Buya. And to add to its coolness, the owners are actually opening up four more stores, one in Miami, and three in Berlin of all places. Yes, Berlin, Germany, how cool is that? Buya Ramen is located at 911 Central Avenue in downtown St. Pete and is open seven days a week at 11 a.m. Do ya, Buya? Engine number nine and Buya Ramen are still open for takeout and delivery, so check them out. Welcome to another episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. 
I want to start off by saying that we certainly acknowledge the stress out there because of COVID-19, but we're not going to go on about it. We'd like our show to offer a respite from the mess that we're all enduring right now. So while we do take it seriously and we're not pretending that everything's normal because it's far from it, we want to just have our show be an escape from that. Some entertainment, some fun. So with that said, we do have a story that does relate to today's altered reality, and it's a follow-up topic from last week regarding baking. And we have a new word, procrastibake. Procrastibake? Yeah. It's like you're baking to procrastinate from doing something that you don't really feel like doing. Actually, it's not new. I found this article in the New York Times from two years ago talking about a trend where people who work or school from home procrastinate by baking, hence procrastibake. I have never, ever thought of doing that. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> we just like uh, drink and watch TV. But now that's like everybody baking like crazy. We talked about that last week. But not everybody procrastibakes alike. Some like long, slow recipes that take all day. And then they, go, they kind of go back and forth. Like there's a step you have to do and then it goes in the oven. Right. And then they'll go back to their spreadsheet or whatever they're working on. And then so it's back and forth. Mm-hmm. I kind of do that when I work from home too. I'll like do a project. And then when I'm done, I'm like, okay, I got a break now. Right, right. And then I'll start my next project. There's an author, Jessica Kale. She's a romance novel writer. She likes making macaroons because she says it can take up to three days to complete the process. Hmm. Food Network says two hours and 30 minutes. Three days seems pretty excessive. Yeah, I don't know what the heck she's doing. (laughs) She definitely didn't use the Food Network recipe. Maybe she's cooking them in a crock pot. (laughs) (laughs) So, So that's not the only BS thing in this article. It goes on to say that hashtag procrastibake is a thriving hashtag on Instagram. Hmm. Not really so. All you have to do is, in the search on Instagram, put hashtag, put, put, put it in there, and it'll tell you right, how many posts right. there are. So there are only 4,000 Instagram hashtag procrastibake, as opposed to hashtag St. Pete Foodies. We have 25,000. Hashtag baking has 23 million. Hashtag breaking bed. Bre- bed? Bed? <laughs> breaking bad. That show's messed up. Yeah, if you break the bed, that's bad. <laughs> I, I meant to say hashtag baking bread. That has 174,000. So 4,000 is not really a thriving hashtag. Okay. So you're proving them wrong. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I thought it was a cool article, and then I started researching, and I'm like, this is BS. So all you folks that are now baking a lot, you might want to use some hashtag procrastibake to give it a little help. But they're not pro- procrastibaking. Right. They're quarantine baking yes exactly <laughs> maybe she's that hashtag oh yeah or how about hashtag board drinking therapy baking board drinking yeah i actually looked that up and there's only 103 103 so oh. we could maybe boost that but hashtag day drinking has 1.4 million of course it does and half of them are just us <laughs> Could be, probably <laughs> so that's all i have on that so do you want to sing a song now oh yeah if you want to call it singing so this came to me as I was waking up. You know when you're like, you're waking up, but you're still half asleep and you're only half awake. And for some reason, this thing just pops into my head. I'm like, I better get up and write this down right away. I'll lose it. And then I sent the idea over to Lori. I said, hey, I don't have time to really work on this. Can you do it? Of course, he sends it to me when I'm like half asleep, still no motivation. I'm like, seriously, I got to write this thing. And then I ended up having a lot of fun writing it. You did a great job because you took inspiration from actually being quarantined. Yes, I did. And me dropping off things to you each day. Yes, correct. So this is to the tune of 
12 days of Christmas, we give you the 12 days of quarantine. Well, before we actually give it to you, let's just warn you ahead of time. It's me attempting country singing and Kevin attempting to sing very deeply. Yes. I mean low. (laughs) (laughs) So it's meant to be silly. It's meant to be funny. We had a great time. It was probably the longest time we ever spent trying to record some, pre-record something, but um, we hope you enjoy it, and I hope it makes you laugh. Here we are with the 12 days of quarantine. On my first day of quarantine, my true love left for me a river I stay cooked to a tea. On my second day of quarantine, my true love left for me Two filled prescriptions and a ribeye steak cooked to a tea On my third day of quarantine, my true love left for me Three bottles of vodka, two filled prescriptions, and a ribeye steak cooked to a tea On my fourth day of quarantine, my true love left for me Four surgical masks, three bottles of vodka, two filled prescriptions, and a ribeye steak cooked to a tea. On my fifth day of quarantine, my true love left for me five hand sanitizers. Four surgical masks, three bottles of vodka, two filled prescriptions, and a ribeye steak cooked to a tea. On my sixth day of quarantine, my true love left for me Six boxes of tissues, five hand sanitizers Four surgical masks, three bottles of vodka, two filled prescription And a ribeye steak cooked to a tea On my seventh day of quarantine, my true love left for me Seven bottles of wine, six boxes of tissues, five hand sanitizers, four surgical masks, three bottles of vodka, two filled prescriptions, and a ribeye steak cooked to a tea. On my eighth day of quarantine, my true love left for me eight cans of soup, seven bottles of wine, six boxes of tissues, five hand sanitizers, four surgical masks, three bottles of vodka, two filled prescriptions, and a ribeye steak cooked to a tea. On my ninth day of quarantine, my true love left for me. Nine tips on sleeping, eight cans of soup, seven bottles of wine, six boxes of tissues, five hand sanitizers, four surgical masks, three bottles of vodka, two filled prescriptions, and a ribeye steak cooked to a tea. On my tenth day of quarantine, my true love left for me. Ten paper towel rolls, nine tips on sleeping, eight cans of soup, seven bottles of wine, six boxes of tissues, five hand sanitizers, four surgical masks, three bottles of vodka, two filled prescriptions, and a ribeye steak cooked to a tea. On my eleventh day of quarantine, my true love left for me. Eleven shows for streaming, ten paper towel rolls, nine tips on sleeping, eight cans of soup, seven bottles of wine, six boxes of tissues, five hand 
hand sanitizers. Four surgical masks, three bottles of vodka, two filled prescriptions, and a ribeye steak cooked to a tea. On my twelfth day of quarantine, my true love left for me. Twelve rolls of TP, eleven shows for streaming, ten paper towel rolls, nine tips on sleeping, eight cans of soup, seven bottles of wine, six boxes of tissues, five hand sanitizers. Four surgical masks, three bottles of vodka, two filled prescriptions, and a ribeye steak cooked to a tea. Have you been to Pacific Counter? It is one of the newest fast casual concepts located on one of the fastest growing blocks in St. Pete, the 600 block of Central Avenue. They offer build your own bowls, burritos, or salads with a variety of the freshest bases, toppings, and sauces to satisfy anyone's craving and put you in charge. There are actually 6,432,189 combinations possible. Overwhelmed by build your own? I know that I sometimes am, well, you can also choose from their counter creations menu already picked for you. The first couple of times we ate there, that's exactly what I did. Then I decided to get adventurous. For bases, they offer sushi rice, brown rice, noodles, or greens. Sushi rice seems to be the norm, but I'm not a big rice person, so I finally tried the noodles, and to say I fell in love is an understatement. They are actually sweet potato noodles, I found out later, and I have no idea how they make them seem like rice noodles. I added fresh tuna and salmon, my choice of toppings and a sauce, which I didn't even need because the bowl was so good without it. I told Kevin I could eat this every day and I would probably lose weight and love it at the same time. If you haven't checked out Pacific Counter, I would highly recommend it. They are open for lunch and dinner, have a variety of unique alcoholic and non-alcoholic drink options, and they have the beloved Dole Whip. Find your fresh at Pacific Counter. Pacific Counter is located at 660 Central Avenue in downtown St. Pete. They are open 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Sunday through Thursday and 11 a.m. to midnight on Friday and Saturday. And Pacific Counter is still open for delivery and takeout. So welcome back. Now we're going to talk about kitchen knives. I, I am, you know a crazy person when it comes to kitchen knives. You're crazy. You're crazy. I love knives. I own a lot of knives. You tend to, well, I don't know, maybe we both do it. You tend to get interested in something new and then you're like all in and can't stop yourself. Yeah. And I love knives. However, Wall Street Journal, recently Kevin handed me this article, said, read it and let's talk about it. It's called, Why Pay $24,000 for a Kitchen Knife? I'm only going to read a little bit of it and then we'll just talk. There was a bladesmith. There are actually cult knife makers. And there's a blade cult knife maker, I guess called a bladesmith, Bob Kramer. And he created a knife that has the name The Last Salmon. It features a pot of orca, orcas pursuing a single fish. So this knife, it's a 10 and a half inch chef's knife. He put it up for auction on his website recently. The bidding went within the first hour to $10,000. Hmm. And an hour after that, it was at $17,750. And when the, the gavel actually fell after 24 hours, the final price was $24,000. Interestingly enough, the same man created a knife, Mr. Kramer. He made it for Anthony Bourdain. And that one, after uh, Mr. Bourdain's death, actually fetched nearly a quarter of a million dollars from wow. his estate. The blade actually contained 
iron from meteorites, and of course, the late chef's mystique added that hefty premium too. Where the hell do you get meteorite stuff to make knives out of? I have not. You a have clue. to like have a contact at NASA. I don't know. You'd have to research that. Still, most of the newly auctioned knives by Bob Kramer, they sell and routinely sell between twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars. I wonder what a Valerian steel knife would go for. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that too when I read this. Probably about the same as the meteor one. Right. Right. Well, it's interesting. So as I read the article. Most of these knives that are bought for those premiums mm-hmm. are put in a box. Yeah, they're collectibles. And never used. They're, they're collectibles. They, so there's some people saying, you know, a knife is made to be used. Used, right. It's not made to be like hung on a wall and stared at. Right. But That's there are exactly. also, I mean, but also it's all relative. I mean, one person, now forget the crazy $24,000 knife. Somebody might have a $400 knife that's a really good knife that they use every day. Mm-hmm. And somebody else might say, you're nuts. My I mean, $75 knife is just fine. No, I seriously, before I really started getting into knives, I thought, what in the world are people paying $200 even for one knife? I'm like, that's crazy. Then, of course, I went out and did it all over the place when I bought the Kami Kodos. I even bought them for people for Christmas last yeah. one year. So the, wh- whoever is in charge of marketing at Kami Kodo, yeah, they did a ja- great ja- job of targeting ja- me on Facebook. It's a Japanese knife company. And yeah, it all started when you saw your first ad. But the thing is, here's what I'm getting technical on advertising now. It's like usually when you see an ad for the first time, it doesn't quite register or motivate. It was the number of impressions for yeah. sure. You were seeing it like every single every day. day. Every day when I logged into Facebook, it was the second thing right below that, right below whatever I was looking at. And I'm like, I wonder about these knives. So then I started like, so then I mentioned to Kevin one morning, right? Was it before my birthday or Christmas? I can't remember. It was some... I think it was Christmas, maybe. I don't know. No, I think it was my birthday. Okay. And I, I said to him, I, I really love these. He's like, do you want it for your birthday? I'm like, yeah. So I didn't get surprised, but I was very happy. From there on out, I bought two or three more sets of Kami Kodos, and you have them all too. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> once you use really good knives, it's near to impossible to go back. Like a knife. Yeah, it really does make a difference. They are excellent knives, and those are Japanese steel. And it seems that, in general, I don't know about the crazy knife aficionados that are, you know, collectors spending insane amounts of money, but I think, in general, people who are into knives and cooking, Kamikoto seems to be popular, but Japanese steel seems to be like that's the in thing now. Mm-hmm. But back when we had Noble Crust on, and yeah, Rob, Rob Reinsmith. Yeah, Hinkles and, and Verstoff, sorry, they're German. Mm-hmm. So Rob, Rob Reinsmith, the chef at Noble Crust, was telling us that back when he got started, that German steel was the cool thing, and now it's Japanese steel. But yes, it used to be all, Jap- all German. And then we recently went to Performance Food Service, had a big event they put on every year for their for their restaurant customers yes restaurant customers but they invited us to come and cover the event and it was really fun it was cool to see what they do there and of course i see knives i'm like oh look at these knives these are really pretty knives honey yeah and that that's rhineland Cutler, oh right rhineland yeah and that's their german steel and they were offering free engraving so we got kevlo on the handle that's our nickname that did maddie make that up at trust uh, yeah maddie made it up matt matt Ch- chamness yeah Kevlo, and then on the blade, St. Petersburg Foodies, of course. Yeah, they're pretty cool. And I tend to lean towards using the larger knives of the Rhineland more so than I do the Kamikotos. The Kamikotos, I noticed that the 
Maybe it's just Japanese steel in general. The blades tend to dull faster. Hmm. So I have to find my sharpener. That's the thing. I've been lazy about that. Right. So we were originally started off talking about the $24,000 knife, but really that's just people that are collecting them. They have all kinds of different art things that they put on them. Um, they, they'll actually make the blades rippled and different. And Yeah, there's like engravings on yeah, the Yeah, engravings. And it, it's, it's really cool, but you know. I don't know who's going to be spending that kind of money on a knife right now. Just saying. Well, the people that can afford to buy that kind of knife are probably fine. She's chopping broccoli. Chopping broccoli. Chopping broccoli. So I have another kind of a cooking. We had a lot of cooking advice last week when we did salt, fat, acid, heat. And so I just have one that I thought was really cool. This is from, also from the New York Times, but this is uh, just from late last year, October 2019. The secret ingredient that improves meat every time. You may love it, you may hate it, but a schmear of mayonnaise before cooking makes beef, pork, chicken, and fish better as if by magic. Really? Yeah, you, think, didn't, you didn't tell me about this one. I think this one falls under who to thunk. Yeah, I, I wouldn't thunk. So mayo, is, it's basically salad dressing. It's Oil and vinegar with egg yolk added. Right. But I, I think I told you about, there was some Facebook thread I was reading, and they were talking about cooking grilled cheese. Mm-hmm. And they said, instead yeah. of butter, put grilled cheese on the outside of the bread that you're going to be toasting. And, that, and they swore up and down it was the best way to make grilled cheese. This article actually talks about that as well, but just to keep it more succinct, I'm, I'm sticking Sorry. on the meat part, but okay. that's, yeah, totally. Is that why you said you're going to do that to the pork? He's cooking pork chops for me Saturday night. <laughs> Mayo, oil and vinegar with egg yolk. The egg serves as an emulsifier. So you, and you just kind of, you mix the heck out of it while you're adding a little bit at a time. And there's also lots of recipes online where they add Dijon mustard and other ingredients. Mm-hmm. But your basic is just those three ingredients. I made it for the first time in ninth grade cooking class. A long, long time ago. Cool. So you're going you're gonna to make homemade mayonnaise? Maybe. So <laughs> the article starts out with an observation about the online community of sous vide cooking enthusiasts being excited about rubbing meat with mayonnaise before searing it. So I sent a text to Abby, our St. Pete Foodies cooking and recipe guru, to ask if she knew about this. And she said, yes, the Ananova food group nerds, that's, that's yeah, a, yeah. a sous vide. sous vide machine, yes. Swear by it for the absolute best crust on a piece of meat, especially steak. This is still Abby talking. Mm -hmm. We rarely ever have mayo in the house, so we have yet to try it. So I thanked her, and then I chastised her for not having mayo in the house (laughs) and suggested that she make some from scratch. Yes, because that's what Abby would do. Right. So here's the deal. It works really well as mayo is mostly fat. Correct. Making it a great delivery mechanism for the fat-soluble flavor compounds found in many aromatics, while leaving behind no distinct flavor of its own. Mm-hmm. So this means that the mayo-marinated meats don't taste like mayo once they're cooked. Right. And mayo also improves malleard browning, which are the chemical reactions that take place when you sear foods. Huh. So functionally, we can think of mayonnaise as consisting of three ingredients. Along with fat and water, there's also egg protein. As the mayonnaise on the surface of a piece of meat cooks, its water content evaporates, breaking the emulsion. So the egg actually helps to keep the water content in? No, the water content 
goes away. And it leaves behind a thin, evenly distributed layer of fat, as well as a very, very thin coating of egg protein. So the extra source of protein and fat increases the browning on naked meat, they say. Mm -hmm. And it even works with watery or low sugar marinades. Hmm. You can still use the mayo. Interesting. So it also comes in handy when you want to minimize the time a piece of meat spends on the grill or in a pan. So like thinner cuts like skirt steak, flank steak, or even skinnier pork chops. Right. If you want them rare, but you want them brown on the outside. Right. Typically have trouble browning before they overcook in the center. Right. And also with a chicken cutlet, you know, it'll, it'll cook through on a hot grill or skillet in under four minutes. And that's not enough time to brown. A cutlet, but not a breast. Right. And lastly, if you're searing in a cast iron skillet, which is what I do for steak, you don't need any oil if you put the mayo on it. Right. Be interested to taste the pork chops this weekend. (laughs) So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I'm so hungry right now. I'm getting takeout from Noble Crust. What? You've never been? No way. Check this out. They do both food from the South and Italian, and they do an amazing job at both. They have some of the best fried chicken, and the eggplant parmesan is out of this world. The fried green tomatoes are not like anyone else's. They call it the FGBLT, but I think they should call it the OMG, because it has Tabasco honey pork belly and pimento cheese. And it's the first item on the menu, so you can't miss it. Noble Crust also made six of St. Pete Foodie's best of list. Best Italian, casual dining, best pizza, Bloody Marys, meatballs, and best salads. If Noble Crust is already one of your favorites, then I have good news. They're expanding their service hours. Starting on February 7th, they'll be open for lunch on Fridays. And they'll start opening on Mondays for dinner starting February 10th. As always, on Saturday and Sunday, there's an awesome brunch starting at 10.30, and the deviled eggs are one of my favorites. The St. Pete location is on 4th Street North and 83rd, and they also have locations in Carrollwood and Wesley Chapel. You can check hours and menus at noble-crust.com. Noble Crust is a must for your next lunch, brunch, or dinner. Noble Crust is still open for takeout and delivery. We are back! We are back! And what's up next, Lori? Our next interesting topic is that there's a lot of sports fans out there. That and there's are, no sports. And there's no sports to watch, at least no new sports. Well, according to this article I read, there is Russian table tennis. Awesome. Yeah, and they're betting on Russian table tennis. So there's also gamblers out there who have no sports to bet on, and everybody is just missing their, their thing and wanting to do something. So this article is actually talking about People who are building, instead of a fantasy football league or baseball league, they're building a fantasy top chef league. <laughs> and that's how they're betting. And, and they try to, like, they pick their people and try to take it all the way. I think they each get five. It was very interesting. But yeah, I, we, we're, and we're watching Top Chef and haven't thought about betting on it. Maybe we can do that. But I do tend to, you know, we pick our favorites. Mm-hmm. And then when they get, go out, we're like, oh, man. Yeah, I know, exactly. But yeah, people are really uh, jonesing out there to find stuff to do. I mean, the article talks about a lot more than just Top Chef. But so it just says in here that the rules for the fantasy version are are simple. You draft the real life contestant and you receive points for the competitions that they win. But yeah, there are people that are playing this that have never even like watched Top Chef before. They're just like Hmm. bored. I think people are just bored and they're trying to find something to do to satisfy their, 
I guess it would be competitive instincts and mm-hmm. probably gambling, the excitement and thrill that they get from gambling and winning. Maybe they'll pay enough attention to maybe learn some stuff about cooking too. Yeah, maybe maybe so, but it is kind of funny. So the, the actual, this article is actually in the Wall Street Journal if you wanted to check it out. It's called Coronavirus Stopped Sports Gambling, But You Can Still Bet on Top Chef. Right. Next up is pretty much dressing. What What's your favorite dressing? Right now, it's really, really, really good pure Italian olive oil and red wine vinegar and salt. Mm-hmm. What about balsamic vinegar? Um, I find balsamic to be a little bit too, what's the word, heavy for me now. Hmm. I still love balsamic dressings, mm-hmm. but... Um, unless it's made properly, I'm I'm not a huge fan of it anymore. And what else? A uh, Thousand Island. Thousand Island, right? That that was my guilty pleasure dressing, right? But I went through. I you remember how much I ate it for like months and months and months, and I go mm-hmm. through those phases, and then I'm done. So the reason I ask is because, come to find out, ranch is the number one most popular dressing in the U.S. And my favorite is Italian, which comes in second. So. of people polled said ranch is their favorite. Italian only got 10% coming in at number two. Mm -hmm. So, and I I almost never use ranch on my salad. I I hardly ever do, but you know it's my favorite when we're dipping anything. Right, for a dip. Vegetables and stuff. I like ranch Doritos when I want to change up from nacho. Cool ranch Doritos. So, ranch was invented in the 1950s. It's now the most popular in the U.S. And according to, this is according to the Association for Dressings and Sauces. Right. Didn't even know that existed. Me either. There's an association for everything. We just don't know it. And they say, you know, ranch goes beyond salad. It's used as a dip for chicken wings, baby carrots, and get this, French fries, tortilla chips, and mozzarella sticks. Ranch or mozzarella sticks. And says it's incorporated into American classics like macaroni and cheese, fried chicken, potato salad, and Thanksgiving turkey stuffing. And it's drizzled over tacos, tater tots, casseroles, and perhaps most controversially, pizza. Ew. Ew, gross. I think all that's bad. Well, I use the I use a whole bottle of ranch dressing when I make my buffalo chicken dip. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. You, you have, well, yeah, that, that's a, my buffalo yeah, chicken that's a fit. Dip. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't get it on pizza and some of the other stuff that they mention. But here's something that sounds better. What makes ranch ranch? It's a combination of creaminess from buttermilk, sour cream, sometimes mayo, and herbaceousness, often parsley, thyme, and dill, plus a long pool of allium, which is onion and garlic in this case, and a shot of black pepper. Hmm. So ranch seasoning eliminates the creamy element, making it a dry spice mix like any other, ready to be added to Chex mix or popcorn or mixed into biscuits. Sounds kind of cool, biscuits with some ranch. Yeah. I can see that. But another thing that makes ranch ranch is the dry versions of all the aromatics. So like the garlic and onion, those are powder. It's dried herbs, powdered pepper, and powdered buttermilk. Mm-hmm. It was invented by this guy, Steve Henson, who was, he's from Nebraska, but he was working a gig up in Anchorage mm-hmm. as a construction worker. And up there, he also helped cook and feed the crew. And in that part of the world... Perishable ingredients like fresh herbs, fresh garlic, fresh onions, and dairy products are not easy to come by. Oh. So he invented ranch dressing with all these powdered ingredients. Then get this. When he's done, him and his wife moved to California, and they bought a ranch. <laughs> Guess what they named it? Ranch? Hidden Valley oh, Ranch. Oh, Duh. <laughs> and, and they had a steakhouse there 
where the popularity of ranch dressing started to grow. People were asking if they could buy it and bring it home. Mm-hmm. And they were doing that. And eventually it was introduced to the mass market by Pillsbury. And I think that was in the 60s, maybe. Yeah, I don't remember a world without ranch dressing. Yeah. So, but Hidden Valley Ranch was an actual ranch owned by the guy who actually invented ranch dressing. Wow. So you're, you're buying the real stuff when you buy Hidden Valley Ranch. Yeah. Are we doing a commercial for them now? I know. <laughs> this, this segment's sponsored by Hidden Valley Ranch Dressing. We wish. And Cool Ranch Doritos came out in 1986, and then that catapulted the popularity of the flavors even more so. Hmm. So. Interesting. That's what I got on ranch dressing. And that's our topics for today. Next week on the show, we will have a Skype interview with Candice Aviles. She is Channel 10 News anchor, reporter. She's the host of Food for Thought, a golfer and a foodie, and the announcer for this show. That's it for this episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Thanks for listening. And thanks to our sponsors. Noble Crust. Pacific Counter. Booyah Ramen. And and Engine Engine Number number 9. Our announcer is Candice Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News. And our theme music is provided by the Chris Walker Band. We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on stpetersburgfoodies.com. Please give us a rating and review on whichever app you're using to listen to the show. And remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until Until next time, time, may your food be hot and your bubbly cold. Hello, people who do not live here. I gave you a key for emergencies. We were out of Doritos.